Uh, good morning, family. Great to see you all. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Creekside Church, and we have the blessing of continuing in our sermon series, The Art of Being, a sermon series where we talk about being at the feet of Jesus, being with him, and then Jesus transforms us from the inside out, and it leads us to do things for Jesus, as we're going to find out today. But before I invite the elder that is speaking today up, I want to tell a story about this elder, and I did not do this first service, but since I know that the runtime of first service went a little early, I have time to do this. So I got to know Andrew really well over pretty much the last year because I moved close to his neighborhood. And a little story about when we got the keys to our house leading up to how I know Andrew's heart has a heart of gold. We got our keys, and a couple hours later, my wife's dad calls me and said, hey, if you want to tear down that wall and we're having the work day tomorrow, get rid of the wall and use me as, like, the contractor putting a beam up. And I was like, oh, we just got our keys. And I have to do this tonight. Cool. So Steve Sanchez shows up and starts helping me tear down the wall. And Andrew <laughs> just comes in the door just like, all right, I'm here. What do you guys need help with? You don't need help with the wall. I'm going to tear up all the carpet. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And he just started going at it, just started ripping up the carpet. And the people before us had pets inside. And if you have pets inside, you know why I'm bringing that up. There was pee in the carpet, and it didn't even bother him, didn't phase him. He just kept going. In fact, I have a picture, I wish I could put it up, of him just holding, like, two things of carpet, just looking at me like <laughs> this. Super good attitude the entire time. And then it started getting late, and I was like, oh, cool, like, the wall, like, the drywall is off, but we have this electrical stuff out, and we have to take care of that. I don't know how to do this. And Andrew's like, I got it. I'm going to go in the attic and take care of it. 1 a.m., 1 a.m. comes around, and he comes out of the attic, and our house is ready for the workday the next day, all because of his heart willing to just step in and be present and serve somebody who has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and so can you guys please give a loud welcome to Andrew Higgins as he comes on up. Well, that was our buffer to get to lunch early, but... We'll take it. So we need to follow that up with um, demo days are great. I'm all on that. He did not get his electrical inspected, so we don't know what happened. So just let's throw that out there. Um, it, it's fun to be here with you guys this morning. Um, it's been fun getting to hear the other elders teach, um, getting to see who's going to tease Nathan, who's going to quote Kierkegaard, you know. Um, where do we land on that spectrum? Um, I bring you Calvin and Hobbes. That's the depth of, that's the depth of my sermon this morning. So uh, if you don't know Calvin and Hobbes, go buy a book. You're going to love it. Uh, Calvin's this little, little child who uh, gets into trouble all the time, and Hobbes is his uh, tiger that's, that's a stuffed animal, but he talks to him. He's totally normal. Uh, Hobbes, do, do you think our morality is defined by our actions or by what's in our hearts? I think our actions show what's in our hearts. And then Calvin, I resent that. So just get the juices flowing as we start talking this morning about the art of service. Um, I'm going to pray real quick because I need to. So 
Um, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can be together as a family, that we can um, look into your word and be encouraged by it. And uh, Spirit, use me, even though I don't feel like the best tool to deliver this sermon even. But um, I know you are strong and you can work through this. So um, yeah, let your word stick and not my own. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, my wife, Ann, and I met at Cal Poly St. Louis Obispo. Mustangs, there we go, right high. Woo! Yeah, we got a lot this service. That's great. Um, so we met because we were both serving with Campus Crusade. She was leading the outreach team, and I was just volunteering, helping out with them. Um, I think she just kind of kept me around for a little bit because I had a pickup truck, and that helped coordinate activities and events when you got to get like 1,500 care packages to campus. Pickup truck helps. But eventually, she liked me more than pickup truck. So we're doing great. We're married now. It's good. Um, so one of the things the outreach team would do is on Wednesdays, we'd call it sharing at the Mustang. And we'd go to a certain spot on campus. And you, it was just students and staff from crew that would try to walk around and try to engage the campus in spiritual conversations. Just try to ask them simple things, ask surveys. Sometimes we had more like picture tools. Guys, we can't express emotions at all, so pictures help us a lot. Um, but one of my favorites was, uh, it's just called the Worldview Survey, and it's just four simple questions. Uh, the first one is, what's our purpose? So what's our purpose in being here? What's wrong with the world? How is the world made right? And how do we take part in it? Um, I love those questions. They're simple. Anybody can engage with them, whether you come from a spiritual background or not. So it's fun to ask people that. Between uh, my time at Cal Poly as well as summers doing what they call um, summer projects a couple times down in Santa Monica, I've probably asked those questions of approximately like two to 300 people. And only one time did somebody ever say, nothing's wrong with the world. doesn't need to be made right. It's totally good as it is. Um, I don't remember the whole conversation. I'm sure he was kind of like, he was kind of one of these hippy-dippy guys, just go with the flow, the world makes no mistakes, death, pain, it's all just like, you know, it's just part of the process, right? Um, I, can, I can resonate with it's how the world is, but coming to it from a Christian perspective, we know um, what's wrong with the world is this thing called sin. So we get to take part in this of making the world right, though. We aren't the solution to sin, but we're invited into being a part of how the world is made right. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to help those in need, to serve the world around us. So what is service? Let's start with what it isn't. I want to start there because uh, I think you guys could all acknowledge and probably have friends that are non-believers that value doing good things for other people. Um, I haven't come up with a single word that separates what the world does versus what God calls us to, but I'm just going to use charity this morning. Charities, there's nothing wrong with charity. It's a good thing, but it's, uh, it's what I'm going to stick with. So the world values charity, feeding the hungry, un helping the unhoused, orphans, the sick, all these people are in need. Um, there is a secular value to serve and be kind or generous to people. Um, so the world loves charity that is typically a quick way to help those like a financial donation, a service project, giving something we have to those who need it more. Not bad things in and of themselves. In fact, those are good things. Um, but in the conversations I have with non-Christian friends, coworkers, and just the world around us, there's a common thread that I, I continue to hear. And that's, 
it feels good, and they're kind of cherried out for a while. Maybe I'll do it again in the future sometime. So I want to pose that the world thinks of service or charity as, a, as if it's a little treat. It's like a donut. It's sweet. It was a good thing. It's not something you do daily. Nobody would live off of donuts alone. Uh, you still need to take care of yourself, right? But, uh, and it's absolutely true, service can be sweet. It is, it is a good thing. There's many ways to be blessed as you serve. It can also be tiring. It can be hard. It can be a lot of things. But it's still a good thing. However, I want to pose that uh, as we go through the passages this morning, service is not a treat to be enjoyed from time to time, but it's more likened to vegetables, not your grandma's way overboiled broccoli. That's like, you know, not, not that. Think, think of these yummy kebabs looking things. Uh, it's, it's, it's good, but it's also life-giving and something we need to experience health. It's something we should make a habit of rather than as an occasional treat. Um, let's start to define from the Bible what that looks like. So I'll let you turn to Matthew 20, whether that's digitally or opening up the Bible, the hard copy. So Matthew chapter 20, I'm just going to read these last few verses and then we'll talk about the context of it. Uh, Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." Uh, so a couple Sundays ago, John Prey taught, um, he was talking about studying the word and he talked about how context is really important. So what's preceding this passage is, uh, James and John are with their mother and they approach Jesus wanting to be seated on his sides when they get to heaven. They want one brother on each side of him. I think modern context, we can look at that and be like, that's kind of a little bit conceited what's going on there. Uh, but these guys have been walking with Jesus for a few years. They've served alongside him. They're disciples that Jesus loves. Um, I don't know if they put their mom up to it or if she was like trying to get to Jesus and get some recognition for her boys. I can picture both, both scenarios. Um, but what we see is that the brothers are definitely on board with this idea. So in, the, in response to their mother asking this of Jesus to be seated on his sides, in verse 22, Jesus asks, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they respond, we can. So they were on board. They liked this idea. They want the recognition. They want, they want to be acknowledged for this service that they've done. Um, we know hindsight. <laughs> we know what's coming for Jesus. I think they did too. A couple verses prior, he makes it pretty clear that he's about to die and be handed over to the officials. Um, so he was speaking plainly about his death. So what, what are these brothers thinking? Um, I think they were pretty similar to what we are like today, honestly. If you work hard, give up your time, follow Jesus' example to love those in need, you can start to feel accomplished. You've done good things. You've obeyed some of the hard commands. You've made it a priority. There was purpose to it all, right? I did something useful. I worked hard for a reason. I tried my best to raise children in a specific way that's sacrificial, but I'm doing what the brothers were doing. They started to make the service about them. I can and I do this all the time. I 
potentially showed up in Nathan's to help with demo day because I got a trailer. I'm like, let's show off this trailer to Nathan. It, it's a hunk of junk, really, but like, it's fun, right? So I, I show up places trying to serve, but I can still make it about me all the time. Um, it's an easy attitude to take, and it's, it's what the world around us, I would say especially in America, is geared to do. We're provided ample opportunity to seek our own priorities, comforts, and what makes the world right to us. We know, back to the four questions. What makes the world wrong? How is it made right? We want to make it right for us. But when Jesus responds to James and John, he's clear about his mission. And if we want to follow Jesus, it's our mission too. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave the ultimate price in his death, um, but he gave in his living as well. The depth, the debt of our sins has already been paid. No amount of service earns us this. That's another shortcoming of my own is that we want to like feel like we've earned salvation. Um, I, I feel I fall into guilty wanting to earn that as well. But when we are called to follow the example of Christ, it's not to pay for a remaining debt or balance or any sort of costs. It's to point the world to the one who's already paid it. The call for us to follow in Jesus' example is to submit to and serve a world that we know is broken. Because the only thing that makes it right to, makes the world right is redemption through Jesus. Service is a submission so Christ will be glorified. So how do we, let me say that again actually. Service is submission so Christ will be glorified. It's not how we make it about us. It's not even truly about the person you're serving. It's about glorifying God, bringing glory to him. So how do we do that? How do we live lives as a ransom for many? Um, we're, there's a lot of passages that I want to bring to you this morning, but we only have time for so many, and Nathan already ate up some of my free time, so we're just going to keep <laughs> moving. So let's look at John 13, uh, skipping around a little bit, but verses 3 through 5 starts, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And then we jump down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I, as, as I have done for you. Um, so there's some extra members of my family present today. And uh, that wasn't initially planned. I uh, also didn't get permission to tell stories about them, but here we go anyways. Um, uh, my mother and much of her side of the family had this little saying while growing up that has stuck with us. At the end of a holiday meal or any sort of extended family gathering, there would have always been dishes to do. Inevitably, one of my aunts or my mother would start doing them and then instruct everyone just to go relax and let them handle it. They might argue about who, who washed the dishes last time, I'm going to help you dry the dishes while you wash, whatever the scenario was. But then somebody would always say, just let me be a martyr. Um, how respectful that phrase is of actual martyrs of the faith, we're going to cruise right past that. But could we all have fit in my grandma's kitchen to do the dishes? No. Uh, were they also giving us freedom to get out of the house so maybe it would quiet down for them? Probably a little bit of that too. Um, but the heart of this 
was that they loved to serve the family and wanted to submit to this burden for the sake of loving us. A parent choosing to do a chore that they don't need to do shows the child that they're loved, that they're important, just like how Jesus showed all of this, us his love and how we are all important to him. This is exactly what Jesus was showing the disciples when he washed their feet. He was their teacher. He was their Lord, but he, he submitted to them. He washed their feet and did this lowly job so that they would know they're loved and they're important. My mom didn't need to do the dishes. There was plenty of times we had to do chores growing up. Uh, I was told multiple times if I wanted the privilege of riding in the family van, I must go wash said van. There was no allowance involved in that transaction. That was just the expectation. So, uh, but sometimes washing feet looks a lot like washing dishes. Um, so that's the model Jesus starts to show for us, is submitting to these people uh, that are, he was their teacher, he was their Lord, but he's still submitting to them to show them that they're important, to show them that they're loved. Okay, there are so many verses I could continue on, but we're going to look at a couple more quickly. Uh, Matthew four nineteen, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark eight thirty four through 36. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So let's start, start in Matthew 4. Uh, this is when Jesus is first calling uh, Peter and Andrew, and then shortly after James and John, to literally follow him. They're fishermen. They're on the boat, and he says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Um, they're fishermen already, but Jesus wants to call them to a higher purpose. I think this is relevant to us that we are called to, if we're called to be disciples of Christ and called to follow his examples, it's with a greater purpose. We can be used to call people back to right relationship with their creator. That's part of that call. We get to be ambassadors in our own workplaces, homes, our communities, to show people who God is through acts of service. I think most evangelism probably starts with an act of service. Sometimes that's something big. That could be going out to uh, the far corners of the world, serving people in a very specific way. Or it can just be being kind to your coworkers, to your children, loving on them in certain ways. Um, so this doesn't mean that we stop being whatever your profession is. Uh, but as we go, we have a higher purpose. We have a higher calling. I, I think many of the disciples still use their fishing skills, whatever other skill sets they had, to earn a living later in life. But as they were going along, they had this added purpose to be fishers of men. So then next in Mark, um, Jesus is clearly saying, if you want to be my disciples, here's how. Um, he, he gives us some of the why as well. We have the opportunity to save our life by following him. If we continue to make the world right for us and us alone to fit our own agendas, we're going to miss out on what God has in store. It's easy to get wrapped up in our own plans and desires. It takes real work to set aside our own desires and trust God sometimes. Um, we have a tradition at the beginning of an elders meeting. We kind of rotate the duties, who does it? But somebody comes and opens up with a normally a psalm or some sort of Old Testament passage um, that speaks to the greatness of God. And it just kind of starts us off right before any discussion gets going. We need to zero in on what's really important here. We need to focus on God first before we talk about anything else. Um, so we all need reminders constantly of how good God is. It's just easier to hear our own voice, our own inner, inner dialogue. We get, we get consumed by ourselves or by social media. 
But what Jesus warns and teaches us in this passage is that if we first follow him and surrender our desires, that's where we can save our life. It starts with salvation and surrendering, but the process of sanctification is a daily decision to surrender our will and follow him for that new day. Um, so let's look at these passages together, because I, I can get a little overwhelmed by Mark that there's like, you know, there's consequences going on. There's things to be lost. But if we take that in addition to what's being said in Matthew, um, he says it plainly, I will make you fishers of men. The NIV translates it, I will send you out. And the NLT translates it, I will show you how. So other than the NIV, most of the translators agree that this is like Jesus guiding us. We don't have to know how to make ourselves into efficient and effective servants. God will guide us. So that kind of leads us in how do we serve? How do we practice the art of service? This is a, we're all in process. That's what this whole series has been about, right? How do we practice these things? We don't have to be perfect. So as we seek him, he will guide us. As we abide, our hearts and our desires will, be, desires will become sensitive to his heart and his desires. As we pray and listen, he will speak truth to us and can guide us. How we serve is so specific to where we live life and, and who we are. There's, there's too many options of talking about what service might look like for you and me. Um, it'd be impossible to produce a rule to tell you how God might call you or use you. Um, so I'll give a few context to service, and you get to do the work of praying and seeking God and let him guide you directly. That makes this sermon a lot easier on me. Um, we've talked previously in the context of ministry of being in relation to these three elements of the church. And this isn't unique to Creekside. You've probably heard this other places as well. There's the in, out, and the up. These, these relationships from within the church looking out and upwards. Um, I think we can look at service in these three contexts as well. So let's start with the upward. Um, upward service, doing some form of service directly for the Lord. I think this can be kind of an act of submission to the word, being in the Bible. This could be intentionally replacing or surrendering some time sink you have with something that draws you closer to him. It could be setting aside your will to directly glorify God in some, some means. Sounds a lot like worship to me. Outward. Outward service, serving or submitting, so someone outside of the church for the intention of bringing glory to God. This is where about a million examples uh, come, come to mind t for me and maybe for you as well. I think of service projects in the community. Uh, we used to do things at Creekside where we, we went and painted the walls at an elementary school and we spread mulch, things like that, going outside of, the, out of these walls. Uh, I think of missions trips, putting on kids' camps. Uh, we have missionaries going to Italy soon for that. I think of missions trips down to Mexico to build things for people in need. Uh, I think of how we model what a disciple of Christ is in the workplace as well. Uh, I especially think of modeling Christ's love to my children who have yet to accept Christ. I think of being kind to someone who has wildly different worldviews than you or I. Anytime we interact with someone who isn't a Christian, it's an opportunity to model service and submission so that they might come to know Jesus and his love. Inward service, serving or submitting to someone inside the church for the intention of bringing glory to God. Within the church, we've got more structure, obviously, than just wherever we live our lives outside of it. Uh, so now we've got things like children's ministry, youth ministry, young adults, men's and women's ministries, music. Uh, I'm probably forgetting some, but then especially gospel communities. Um, these are all designed to help us 
seek to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. That's, that's the Creekside mission statement. If you aren't familiar with it, let me say it one more time. So all these things are designed to help us seek to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. Uh, if we want to be a body of believers that encompasses that or, or accepts that challenge, that mission statement, it's going to require that we serve each other. Uh, we're all still in process. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to fail. We're all going to misunderstand something. I'm going to say something wrong that irks you or, you know, and vice versa, all these things. It's, it's hard to live life amongst people that are different than you. So um, there's a lot of opportunities to love and serve each other as we are in this process together. But I want to offer some encouragement because maybe that's overwhelming to some of you, um, me, me as well. As we seek God in these areas, uh, I want to give you a couple of visuals to think about this. These are Mother Teresa's uh, pretty deformed feet. So the ministry she started relied upon a lot of donations, including those for clothing and shoes. Uh, people around her wrote down for us and kind of talked about how when donations would be received, she would be the first one over there, and she would look for the worst pair of shoes, and she would take those as hers. Um, and after doing that for a better part, several decades, I believe, um, this is what her feet ended up looking like. So her choosing to serve ended up changing physically what her feet looked like. And in a similar way, um, this is a bit of a harsh example with, with Mother, Teresa's, Mother Teresa's feet, but as we serve, we are changed by the service as well. Maybe it's our bodies, but it's also our hearts, our time, our skills, our budgets. Uh, we may not start off serving in some capacity that fits us, good. God's going to mold us and guide us to what he needs us to be. And if you get mangled feet, um, that's where my grandmother would say that you probably got some jewels in your crown in heaven for stuff like that. So, but the idea that we must fit a mold to be used by God and serve is not in line with God's plan. He can craft us exactly as he sees fit. And back like in Matthew 20, where James and John, or uh, yeah, were wanting recognition or credit for their service and submission, we too fall into this trap of comparing ourselves to others. Uh, maybe that can be us wanting to rank gifts or certain services as more important than others. But 1 Corinthians 3.8 reminds us, the one who plants and the one who waters are one. We all do different jobs, but for the same purpose. So like these pictures of tools, I think it's pretty easy to look up there, and some of those you might be impressed with. Some of them you probably think of as kind of boring maybe. Um, but... They're all used to build the same house. You're going to need all of them. You cannot, despite uh, my intention to use every tool as a hammer itself, um, you still need a hammer to do that job. You still need a screwdriver to do that job. So we all need all the pieces to, make part, to take part in serving. Um, so like these pictures, we each have a unique call to serve in a unique capacity we might think of one tool as more powerful than the other, and one has more features or something like that. But what matters is the builder that holds the tool. So don't get in your own way and assume your limitations or what your only necessities are. The spirit will work through you in the proper ways and times as you listen and obey. Um, John Prey took me to lunch a couple years ago now um, when he was asking to see if I'd be interested in being an elder. He did not tell me that we'd be preaching when we talked about that, but uh, he asked what my thoughts were, so I told him, I feel too young. 
I, I feel too young to be an elder and serve in that capacity. Some of that's, I grew up in a church where the average age of an elder was probably north of 50 by a bit. And um, also just like, how could God use me to serve all of you? <laughs> like, what's going on there? There's so many wise people as I look out here that I'm like, what do I have to offer? Um, but what he said back to me is going to stick with me. These are not his exact words, but he said, Timothy was in his 20s. Get over yourself. You're not too young if you don't think you are. Um, so we, we put these limitations on ourselves. We assume a certain functionality. And in other ways, we put expectations on what experience or abilities or availability or other conditions we must meet before we serve. But like these tools, it's the hand that holds them that makes them useful. Jesus set an example and calls us, but the Spirit will continue to work it out through us. We aren't abandoned as we go. When Jesus says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, it's not just like, here's your tackle box, get out there. It's, hey, here's, here's the Spirit, here's your helper, he's going to guide you. Um, we aren't abandoned as we go. We just need to continue to hold fast to him and trust the, spirit, the Spirit's power within us. Titus 3, 1 through 8, and then jumping down to verse 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect cur courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Then jump down to verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. As we're instructed here in Titus, we need to make it a habit, be uh, a habit of service, be devoted and be ready to do it. But we once were foolish as well, and I think I still am. <laughs> we will continue to mess up and be broken, but the Spirit can still use broken people. Um, the Sunday after Easter, the Sunday school uh, lesson, they were talking about how Jesus loves you and can save you whether you've sinned 100 times or 5,000 times. Uh, Bruce, my son, is five years old. We're in the car driving home. We're talking to the kids about all this stuff. And he said, Dad, you've sinned like a lot more than me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yep, I sure have, <laughs> you know? So my child, who I, f I feel may be a good tool, a good fit to be like, I know more than you. I can guide you a little bit. You're a pipsqueak and you got a lot to learn. But I'm still a bigger sinner than he is, you know? So I don't have to be perfect in anybody's eyes. Um, I can still be a bigger sinner than he is, and God can still use me. So in a similar way, we don't have to be more able, experienced, eloquent, or even more confident than the world we're trying to serve. We just have to be committed to it. Let's think back to the donuts and the vegetables. It's not this little snack that we're just having from time to time because it makes us feel good. It's the vegetables that gives us the nutrients. We're committed to service. It's going to be hard, but we know that it's healthy for us. Not every vegetable dish is going to be your favorite. I can think of a lot that I don't want to eat, but I know they're there for a reason. They're good for us. Um, also with this, Carly had a great encouragement to the graduating seniors uh, a couple of weeks back that I think is certainly relevant for us today. She says something along the lines of, whether your next step is super ambitious or super mellow, there's grace for you in it. So, and that's true of us today. If, if when we start talking about service and trusting God and stepping out of your comfort zone, be used by the Spirit, if that makes you uncomfortable, there's grace for you in that. If you're super ambitious about it and you're like, I'm going to Mexico with Sean this summer, 
great. There's grace for you there too. Even if you think you know what you're doing, you may not so much like me and Nathan's attic. Um, We don't have to get it perfect right away. Expect the bumps and draw close to God. So my challenge for us this week is a little bit of a cop-out. Pick one of your previous challenges and do it again. So rather than pick like some certain duration or type of service, I want you to first seek the Spirit and listen for His calling. So that's part number one. Repeat one of the previous week's challenges. So choose to be quiet, be in rest, be in prayer, take a Sabbath, one of these things. Repeat one of those with the intention of seeking, seeking the Spirit. And then part two, commit today to be ready when he nudges you. Serve in some way. Be ready to follow. This could be anything from a simple kind gesture, somebody somebody that you bump into during your day-to-day, or it could be a bigger call to go go serve in some big capacity. Um, I believe wholeheartedly God will call you to serve in some capacity if you pray for that. And if you pray for big things, he may answer with a big call. So that's my caution to you as well. But it's not just the call to go go be fishers of men. It's the Spirit's right there with you. He's gonna, he's, if he calls you, he's going there with you. So you can trust that. Um, I'm going to wrap us up in prayer, and then we're going to sing a few more songs. Jesus, thank you for the example that you set for us, that you spoke clearly about ways that we can follow you, that we can trust you, and that you set a good model for us. And Spirit, thank you that you continue this work through us, that we don't have to be um, the, the sharpest tool in the box to do exactly what we want to do or what we think is best, but that you will guide us, that you uh, have utility for all of us, whatever our skill set, whatever we think our limitations are, you can use us to build up your kingdom, to go love and serve the world around us, for, to bring you glory. So Spirit, we, we ask now that you would call us to something. We ask that you would call us to serve in some capacity, some new way maybe, or just to be confident to trust you and something that we know we're called to. So Lord, we give these things to you and thank you again for this Sunday. Amen.